We read Romans 12 in connection with our treatment of Lord's Day 49. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. We read the inspired infallible word of God. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought, but to think soberly, according as God hath given, hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness." Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love. In honor, preferring one another. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. Distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality. Bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice, and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. We read God's word that far. May God bless his word to our hearts. As I stated, we read this in connection with Lord's Day 49. In the back of our Psalters on page 26, question and answer 124. As we continue our treatment of the Lord's Prayer. We read question 124, which is the third petition? Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. That is, grant that we and all men 
may renounce our own will and without murmuring obey thy will, which is only good, that so everyone may attend to and perform the duties of his station and calling as willingly and faithfully as the angels do in heaven. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, we look this morning at one of the most important petitions of the Lord's Prayer. You and I desperately need this petition. If only we would grasp with our hearts and minds this petition, everything would be well in our lives. How much of our life is not characterized by discontentment with God's will? And how often is it not the case that so much unrest, so much turmoil, so much trouble in our lives arises from a refusal to submit to God's hand and God's way in our lives. An unwillingness to submit to God's commands and to walk in a manner that He requires us to walk in. We need to examine ourselves this morning. Do we really seek to do what God wants us to do? Or are we inclined and happy to be lords to ourselves? Thy will be done. This petition is concerned with the will of God as it affects your and my lives. And God's will affects every area of our lives. The first petition you recall was concerned about the name of God and asked that God's name be hallowed. And it approached the perspective then that in our lives, the most important thing, the thing that really matters is God. What mostly matters is not us. It's not our circumstance, our situation. It's God. And the fact that God's name be exalted and magnified. The second petition closely related to that had to do with God's kingdom. And the seeking first of the kingdom of God. And the fact that that's a spiritual kingdom where God rules and his will then prevails and now closely related only in that spirit of hallowing God's name and pursuing the things of his kingdom will the full glory of his name be revealed as he is the one whose will is being performed in heaven and in earth for that obedience to obey God's will and for that submission to submit to God's hand we pray thy will be done. This is a difficult petition for us, as I noted, especially because of our pride. In our pride, we want to do what we want. And in our pride, we become discontent. We feel entitled to certain things. And we then become angry with God when we don't get what we think we deserve. And so our attitude far too often has to do with this. We submit to God's will as long as it's for our good and it's going well but as soon as things go different than what we would desire we then are filled with animosity and antagonism against God we become a law to ourselves and stubbornly then we set out to do our own will we don't care what our parents say we don't care what friends say we don't care what the elders say we've got it in our mind and we're going to do what we want to do what a mockery then when we pray this prayer, thy will be done, when we're set on a pathway to pursue our own way, our own will. We pray this prayer, but we refuse then to heed it. We're hypocrites. 
we show ourselves unwilling to submit to God's will, which alone is good. God sets before us this morning this petition, and we examine our hearts with regard to our willingness and desire to submit to God's will, which alone is good. Thy will be done, we take as our theme, noting, first of all, the prayer for obedience. Secondly, the consequences of this prayer. And finally, the obedience then, as we're compared to the angels. Thy will be done. God's a willing God. And we have to start there with God and the fact that God has a will. He's not an impersonal power, like wind or like fate, but he has a will. He's an intelligent personal being now God's will is such with regard to every creature and with regard to the whole of the creation so that the sovereign God of heaven and earth who is our God has intelligent determinations regarding every single thing that's taking place in the universe about us God wills every single creature and the place that that creature occupies and what that creature does God wills everything with regard to trees and plants. God wills everything with regard to the angelic realm. God's will is such that it determines what a creature should be, what a creature will do, and how that creature then is going to extol and glorify God in its service. Anything outside of God's will is going to be trouble. God's will for a bird is that that bird is able to have the freedom of the skies. If that bird tries to go into the water, it's going to drown. God's will for the fish is that the fish enjoy freedom within the water. If the fish decide that they're going to live in land, in, on land and in the air, they're going to die. So that God's will is good and God's will determines every aspect of the whole of the creation in which he created God's will serves the purpose that that creature serves with regard to how it will glorify God. And so every single thing that's about us, as well as we ourselves, submit to God's will. Now especially that's true of the moral creature. The moral creature has a mind and a will of their own now. And God's will is expressed in the heart of his law as to how they are to govern their lives in accordance with his. Love me. Love me with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love the neighbor as yourself. That's God's command. Now God's will is in completely in harmony with his own being and it's sovereignly free. Just to understand that for a few moments. Everything that God wants to do and that he wills to do, he does. And God does so without any concern. He does so without any kind of hindrance or hesitation. God performs everything voluntarily, not by compulsion, not against his will. This is where we're very different than God. If you think about our situation, we do things, but we don't always do them with the right motivation or for the right reason. For instance, your parents got your children up this morning in order to go to church. Some of us didn't want to go to church, but we went to church anyway so that we attend Contrary to our will, the desire to go isn't necessarily there, but nevertheless, we do it. So that there's not a voluntary, but rather an involuntary obedience. Now, there are some parts in our life that we obey God, and we do so cheerfully and joyfully, and we submit ourselves to His will and to His way. 
But other circumstances of our life are such that we do things, but if it were left to our choice, we would have done something different. That's not the way it is with God. So that in our lives, there's conflict. We're maybe sick. We're not feeling well. We want to go to work or we want to go to school, but we can't. We're left in bed. And so that our actions and our conduct then are contrary to what we want, contrary to our will. That's never true with regard to God. God is a willing God in the absolute sense of the word. And God's will is perfectly free. He has no involuntary conflicts. Psalm 115 verse 3 says, He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. Now, because of that, we can say that God's will is always good. That's astounding, really. Our will is not always good. Our will is often plagued by sin. But God's will is always good. He's light, and in Him there is no darkness. And because His will is always in harmony with His being, and there's never any conflict in God, it follows then. His will is always characterized by absolute perfection. God can never do anything sinful. He can never will anything sinful. His will is always good and his will always serves the perfection of his being. Now that doesn't imply that sin and evil exist in the world apart from his will. We know that they are not powers of themselves as though they can prevail against God or something that God can't prevent. And there's a mystery there. Sin and evil exist in the world according to God's sovereign determination. God's not the author. He's not the one that originates that sin. Nevertheless, he's the one that ordains it. And we read of that in Isaiah 45, 7. I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. So that the will of God is absolutely sovereign even as it pertains to sin, evil, and the powers of darkness. Now, as we think about God's will, we have to understand that when we pray this petition, thy will be done, there's two areas of our lives and two aspects of God's will that we're considering. God's will has the aspect of his providence as well as the aspect of his commands. So as pertains to God's providence, God's will then directs every single thing that takes place in the universe, everything that takes place in our lives. Now, much about God's providence and God's decrees is hidden from us. We simply don't know when it is that we're going to die. We don't know how we're going to die. We don't know the circumstances of our lives pertaining to whom we're going to marry, perhaps, or what children God may give us, or how all of these things are going to play out. That's hidden from us. But God, according to his sovereign will, his providence, has already directed all of that and is perfecting it and performing it according to his good purpose and plan. Jehovah God, who loves his church and loves his people, whose will is sovereign, is directing everything for their good and for their salvation and is ordering everything for his glory. God determines exactly the place where each individual person is going to fit in glory. And he's preparing us for that place. And so God is ordaining every single thing that's taking place, where we live, what's happening, where we live, the wars that are taking place in the Middle East and elsewhere. God is ordaining all of that perfectly to serve the plan and purpose he has for each individual saint and to prepare and equip them for the 
place that they occupy in heaven, a place that no one else will be able to occupy, reserved for them. God's decree then is that which governs our lives. But then in addition to that, we have God's commands. So when we say, thy will be done, we're talking with regard to the will of God's providence. We're desiring that God continue to perform everything in this world and everything in my life in a manner that will serve his glory, my salvation, and equip me for the place that he has for me in glory. When I pray that petition, I realize I could be praying for a car crash. I could be praying for my spouse to be killed. I could be praying for my child to be taken from me. I could be praying for cancer. We realize when we pray this petition, what it is for which we're praying. We're submitting ourselves wholeheartedly to the sovereign providence and will of God. And we're confessing it's good. And it's for my salvation. But then also we're praying about the commands that God has in his word. God clearly lays out how he would have his moral creatures to live. And God sets before us not only his will and his law, but he writes that law in our hearts so that we're capable of understanding and knowing it. God commands us to do that which is good and that which is acceptable according to his perfect will, as we read in verse 2 here of Romans 12. And the whole of Romans 12 lays out in very practical and clear language the way that God's children are to live. Now we realize there's a lot more to that, but notice all of the admonitions here that are laying out. How we're to walk, how we're to conduct ourselves in business, in relationships, with regard to those who are enemies. God has his will clearly laid out for us. And when we pray this petition, then we're saying, Lord, give me grace to forsake my own will and to follow after thy will, which alone is good. Not to rebel against those commandments, but to submit to them and to believe that they're for my good. Just as it is with God's providence, there are times we can't understand why obedience in this manner or that area would be for our good. We can't understand how it would be good for us to pursue the way that God wants us to pursue. But we pray for the grace to submit. Even though I don't get it, even though all I see is harm and hurt for me, grant me the grace to know not my will, thy will be done. So to God's will then involves all of the decrees, election, reprobation, his providence. Ephesians 1, 9 and 10, having made known unto us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth. God gives us to know in general terms how his decrees will be carried out. We don't know specifics, but he works in us in the faith to submit and to believe that his will is good. Even wicked acts of men are included in that, and that's astounding. I think one of the most astounding verses in that regard is Acts 2, verse 23. What is the absolute worst thing that wicked men have done here on earth? Killed Jesus. They took Jesus and killed him. And yet God says, according to his sovereign plan, his providence, that also was included. 
so that it's not apart from, it's not as though wicked men did something that was outside of God's plan. They were serving the purpose of God with regard to the salvation of his church. Acts 2 verse 23, him, that is Jesus, being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Now we understand in that text too the important significance yet of the actions of men. Just because something is included in God's plan and God's providence doesn't justify those individuals. In other words, those wicked men couldn't say, well, God wanted Jesus to die anyway, so it doesn't matter what we did. Actually, we were doing a good thing. No, Peter says, by the inspiration of the Spirit, repent. You need to turn. You, by wicked hands, took him and crucified him. But God was not disrupted by your actions. God's plan was not all of a sudden set at naught. God had purposed that all. And God was working it all together for good. But that's no justification for the wicked rebellion of man. So that we see in that context, men violating God's clear commands. Thou shalt not kill. They murdered him. And yet, God working all things according to his providence so that his will perfectly would be realized. Now the Bible often talks about not only the will of God, but then the will of man. And the will of man is that which God wills for man. Not what God is performing, but what God calls man now to do. Matthew seven twenty one. Not everyone that saith to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. God's commands clearly set forth in his word and God's warnings regarding obedience, many. And God commands then all men everywhere, return, repent from your sin, turn from your rebellion, quit pursuing your own will in your own way, and submit to my will, which alone is good. So we pray, thy will be done. And in this petition then, God's children are requesting patience and submission to God's perfect plan in their lives. Hard. You know how hard this is. I know how hard and difficult this is. We're praying that God gives us grace to submit, knowing and believing that everything that he's working in our lives and in the lives of our loved ones is good. One could read the petition along this line. May thy orders, thy plans be carried out in my life without complaint. So that I'm patient, I'm content, and I believe and I know that this is all for my good. God has made known his will in his word. God assures us, I'm your father. I love you. I care about you. I'm working everything together for good. And now we pray this petition then, Lord, grant us the patience. Grant us the contentment. Keep us from rebellion. And give us the grace humbly to submit. But then other, on the other hand, we're praying, God, stir me up to obedience. I know thy will. I know thy word. And I know what is right. I know what is wrong. Give me the grace to pursue what's right. Strengthen me. I'm weak. I'm rebellious. I'm inclined to do what I want to do. Strengthen me to do what's right. And we're concerned about both. 
When we pray, thy will be done, we're concerned about the whole of God's will as it pertains to providence in our lives and his commands as they touch us. We may become seriously ill, suffer many losses, experience tremendous hurt. And in that all, we realize this is not by chance. This is all from the loving hand of my Heavenly Father who has a purpose, who has a plan that I don't understand, that I can't fathom. But I pray for the grace to submit. Perhaps God doesn't provide me with a spouse. Perhaps He doesn't give children. Perhaps He gives children, then He takes them from me. Perhaps He causes my children to be rebellious so that I have a hard life dealing with a rebellious son, a rebellious daughter. Whatever my lot in life, I pray for the grace that God gave to Joseph. Others may have thought evil, but God is working it all for good. And to submit then with the patience and the contentment that's necessary in knowing and believing that God is good in all his works. That I not rebel, that I not become guilty of murmuring and complaining. I don't know what God has in store for me. I don't know what God has planned for my future, but I always desire to stand in the consciousness that He is working a perfect work and that though I can't comprehend or fathom it, He gives me the grace to confess that. We need to learn, beloved, to will what God wills. And so that's what this petition is a petition for. But it's not just a petition to be content, patient, it's also a petition to be busy. And the busyness has to be that we're busy in the pursuit of pursuing what he wants us to do. And that's what the catechism gets at when it says attending to and performing the duties of our station and calling. God puts us in specific stations and callings and relationships and circumstances. And he now calls us, do what I want you to do. Walk in obedience to my commandments. And we never need to guess about what God wants us to do. We never have to worry about, I don't really know what God wants me to do. It's clear. And again, God writes on our hearts His law so that I know that I may be using my tongue in an evil and wicked way. I know that I am to be walking in a manner that shows love toward my Heavenly Father and love toward those around me. God clearly reveals His will in His Word. Now, of course, there sometimes are circumstances where we're struggling to know the application of that will in certain areas. Perhaps, for instance, who should I marry? Where should I go to school? What degree should I pursue? In those circumstances, we pray for God to direct our way, that God will make it so that as we set ourselves on a course of obedience to his commandments, he will clearly open doors and shut doors so that we know the way that we ought to go. We walk in a manner that's in line with his word and we trust and we pray that God will give us clearly his will to understand and to discern. In those situations, then, we're not acting rashly. We never justify disobedience. We must be obedient. And in that obedience, then, we trust that God will guide us and God will direct our pathway. And we pray then for the peace and the patience that's necessary. Think of the psalmist. We find this again and again in the psalms. Oh, teach me, Lord, the way that I should go. Then shall thy servant walk therein forever. In Psalter number 
428, verse 5, in that spirit, light will be given. That as we're walking in that spirit, God is going to show us light. He's going to give us to know the way that we ought to carry ourselves and the way we ought to conduct ourselves. Now, this will of God must be respected and submitted to because he's our God and we're the people of his kingdom. We're not part of an earthly kingdom. We have been adopted into his family. He's made us now spiritual citizens of his glorious kingdom. And as naturally as God's will is performed in heaven by the angels, so naturally it is ignored by us, sinful men and women on earth. We have at our disposal the terrible ability to resist God's will in every area of our life, to oppose it, to refuse to acknowledge it, and to pursue our own way. That's how proud, how sinful we are by nature. And because the doing of God's will does not come naturally to us, this prayer becomes all the more important. This prayer is one of the most humiliating prayers that you and I pray. Because what is this prayer? What does this prayer presuppose? It presupposes that I'm not inclined to do God's will. I'm inclined to do my own will. I'm inclined to go my own way. It implies that of myself, I can't do God's will. And I'm not going to carry out God's will. And that inability can be reduced to unwillingness. That's the tragedy. It's a matter that I'm not willing to submit. I'm not willing to obey. And so we pray, Lord, grant in me the grace that I might be able and willing to do what's set before me. That's what's to be given. Grant. And that's what also the catechism begins. That is, grant that we and all men may renounce our own will. That is, give me, Lord, a grace that I don't have. Give me a strength that every day I see lacking. That rather than pursuing my own way, my own will, rather than becoming caught up in the fact that I'm getting something that I don't deserve and I'm entitled to better, that I realize I'm a sinner saved by grace. I don't deserve anything but hell. And that thou art the one who, as my father, is guiding and directing the whole of my life perfectly with a view to a glory that I cannot begin to fathom. This is the obedience that we pray for, beloved, that we willingly and eagerly drop everything in order to follow after his will. That our obedience is willing and faithful. That it's a childlike obedience. That it's not an obedience that's forced of us, that we go to church because our dad and mom made us. That I worship because I want to worship. That I sing because it lives within my heart that I witness to those around me because I can't contain the joy of what great things God has done for me. This is an obedience that flows out of gratitude and thankfulness for what wonders God has performed in my life and in yours. And therefore, flowing out of that then is a willingness, it's a faithfulness that stirs us up. Think of Psalm 119 again. Throughout, what is the psalmist's concern? It's that God's will be pursued. And he emphasizes God's will and God's way is not a hindrance. What is it? It's a delight. 
That's the transformation that God has performed in the heart and life of his children. For us, God's will is a delight. And we rejoice in the privilege of pursuing his will. That's the obedience for which we pray. Father, make me obedient like that. That willingly and faithfully I pursue thy will. And that I have that spirit and mindset of Jesus Christ who set his mind as a flint upon the will of his Father and wouldn't stray from it. Grant me the work of thy spirit that I may grow in that submission and obedience. What's the consequence of this, beloved? What does it cost us? The catechism says that I renounce my own will. That I renounce my own will. I have to say no to what I want. I may have my mind wrapped around firmly what I want. I may have been planning what I want for my whole life. I may have had my heart set on this. God says, renounce your will. Because my will is more important. And my will is good. What you want, what you've got your heart set on, that's not good. That's not going to be for your well-being. So that, beloved, when we pray this prayer, thy will be done. And God answers the prayer then through all kinds of trouble. Perhaps we lose our job. Persecution afflicts us. Perhaps friends leave and forsake us. And we've got all kinds of trouble in our lives. We hesitate then to pray this petition anymore. We say, boy, do I really want God's will in my life? Do I really want God to be in control completely? When we pray God's will be done, we're praying that our own will then be put aside. And we're praying then that when my will conflicts with God's will, God's will is that which rules. So that again, when you pray thy will be done and then stubbornly keep pursuing your own will, your petition is nothing but a curse. It's a mockery. This is a prayer that God teaches us the consequences of which are I need to renounce my own will. Life is not about me. It's not about what I want. It's not about what I think is best. Life is about God. It's about the hallowing of His name. It's about His kingdom coming. It's about His almighty will being performed in my life. And this is a prayer then that God will destroy in me everything that stands opposed to His will. That God will consume within me everything that stands contrary to that submission to His will. That the whole of my selfishness, my ego, the whole of my sinful lust, my desires be destroyed. That God put an end to that selfishness of mine and that unwillingness that rises up within me. And that God work in me humble and complete submission to Him as a child to His parents. Tragically, beloved, there's nothing we cherish more than the pursuit of our own will. We see this constantly in our children, don't we? We tell them what to do, they defy us. Openly, they do what they want to do, despite anything that we said. And it costs tears, it costs struggle to get to the point where they finally will admit their will is wrong and they'll submit to us. That isn't the same true of us. It costs us tears. It costs us intense struggle. God has to lower us and humble us 
mightily at times to bring us to acknowledge God's will is good. And I need to submit to a higher power here. A higher power who loves me and cares about me and is directing all things for my good. My will, your will, has been corrupted because of sin. By nature, our will is always going the wrong direction. It drags us in ways of rebellion. It drags us in the ways of sin. It brings death. It brings destruction. And the devil is constantly trying to tempt us there. He did it with Adam and Eve in the beginning. God's will? No. You'll be happier if you do what I suggest here. Eat the fruit. That's going to be the way of joy. Constantly the devil is tempting you and me. God's will? No, 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 no. You want to do what you want to do. That's going to bring happiness. That's going to bring joy. And after all, God wants you to be happy, doesn't he? God wants you to be joyful. Beloved, our will is corrupted by sin. And our will believes that joy and happiness come in the pursuit of sin. Whereas God says, no, I desire that you be happy. And how is happiness experienced in the life of the child of God? By submitting to my will, which alone is good, and walking in obedience to my commandments. That's joy. That's happiness. That's true delight. By God's grace, we're brought to understand this. Through trouble, through hardship, through difficulty, God brings us to understand that we're praying against ourselves. And then increasingly, God shows us that that prayer is not against ourselves, it's a prayer for ourselves. As God has given us to be followers of Him and a delight in Him is that which gives evidence in our walk, in our prayer. God's will often seems harmful and foolish to us. And we often think, if I would submit fully to God's will, my life's going to be full of trouble. But beloved, the opposite is true. And that's what our Heavenly Father constantly is seeking to impress upon us. God's will alone is good. God's will is good. And we have to pray that. We believe it by faith. Peace and joy are found in submitting to God's will, which alone is good. And this is true with regard to every circumstance of our life. We think of some of the most harsh and difficult circumstances. Say a child is abused in his or her youth. What hardship! Now that wasn't according to God's commands. That was contrary to God's command. God commands that we are to love our children, that we're to care for them. But evil men, evil women will abuse. And they stand then accountable before God. They are guilty of that abuse and they need to repent and turn from it. Never may someone who's guilty of gross sin or other sins in one's life and then later on is able to look back and see how God turned it to good, never may they try to justify their sin and say, look, it was a good thing I sinned because after all, look at all the consequences that worked out. Never. We repent from those sins. We turn from them with shame and we stand in awe of the goodness of God. What a great God we serve who is able even to take the wickedness of our sin and turn it somehow to good. But at the same time, that trouble, that abuse, that struggle, yes, was according to God's counsel. Why would my heavenly Father desire this hardship to be inflicted on me? Why would my heavenly Father want me to have to live my life with this turmoil, this struggle. We can't understand that. Our hearts 
bleed for the individuals that are so involved. But God willed it. God could have caused it not to happen. God could have worked in some way that that circumstance or situation would be avoided. But God, in his sovereign love, knew that that was necessary to prepare that person for his or her place in glory. And so, we submit through tears. And we find peace in submitting and in knowing that Jehovah God is working a perfect work in my life. And he truly is working all things together for my good. Rather than trying to escape that reality, there's peace in submitting to it. And that's true of all the circumstances of our life. We're treated harshly. We're treated wrongly. Sometimes we lose significant assets because of the way that we've been treated. Sometimes it affects us very personally. Seeking to find fault and to point fingers and to try to seek compensation, whether it be financial or whether it be in terms of other consequences, is not going to give peace. We may pursue those things, but it's not going to give peace in the end. Peace in the end comes from this. My heavenly Father who loves me and who has a perfect will for the whole of my life knew this was necessary. And therefore, this hardship, this wrong had to happen because apart from it, I could not have been saved. Again, think of Joseph. As Joseph forgives his brothers, he says, you thought evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about the salvation of his church even. Sometimes the purpose is more than just for me. It's for those around me. It's for others. Beloved, we need this prayer. As much as this prayer hurts, we need this prayer. And we pray for the grace that our will and God's will be in conformity. That we, by the mercies of God, present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. And that we not be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of our mind, that we may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. That our minds and bodies be transformed to the conforming of our Heavenly Father. And that His will is our will. And we submit to His way then as that which alone is good. This is the obedience that's required. And it's striking that the Catechism says that we may be as obedient as the angels in heaven. That we perform the duties of our station and calling as willingly and faithfully as the angels in heaven. In the angelic world, there is the greatest possible order. The angels are well organized. They have various tasks that are assigned to one another. The more one studies the angels, the more one stands in awe. They're given higher tasks, lower tasks. The way the Bible portrays it is some have six wings, some have four wings. God giving different wings and those that have more wings given more responsibility in the angelic world. There are seraphim, there are cherubim, there are archangels. Every one of the angels given a place. Some are engaged in battle, like Michael. Others are engaged in carrying out God's tasks and sending messages, like, for instance, Gabriel, as he brought messages to Mary and to Zacharias and others. God giving all of the angels their unique place and their unique task. What is it that characterizes all the angels? Their love for their heavenly Father and their desire to serve Him. 
They want to do what he wants. And they're ministering spirits then. Their joy is to do his will and to carry out his will perfectly in all that they take up. And so they perform all their tasks without complaining and they show a great joy and delight in that work. And they're faithful, they're punctual, even to the smallest detail. The angels aren't jealous of each other. They're not jealous of Gabriel because Gabriel got to go tell Mary that she was going to have a baby and it was going to be Jesus. The angels are carrying out everything in a perfect, upright manner. And they're doing it in a manner then that serves the glory of God. Now, think about this, which is rather striking. When Jesus ascended into heaven, at that time of Jesus' ascension, remember, Jesus is going into heaven now, in his body. What joy there would have been in heaven. But what does God do? God sends two angels down to go comfort the disciples and encourage them. So here we have a circumstance where would not those angels have rather been in heaven with the celebration where Jesus is coming into heaven? But no, they're now on earth and they have to spend time on earth. And they're here on earth having to encourage the saints. But not a single word of discord is heard. Willingly, faithfully carrying out everything that God has ordained. This applies to our day-to-day life. Circumstances that are very ordinary at times. Some called to be leaders, other called to be followers. God ordaining kings. God also ordaining some to be sewer diggers. God ordaining some to be wealthy, others to always be struggling throughout their lives. God making it so that all of these circumstances and all these differences serve his perfect plan. Different gifts, different callings. They come from God, and God is directing the whole course of life, and he's doing it in such a way that it's according to the service of his good pleasure. Our whole life, then, is so closely tied to God's counsel and God's commands. We're to be faithful in small things in order that we might also be faithful in larger things. And God calls us in everything that happens in my life that I show myself to be a Christian, a child of my Heavenly Father. Not concerned, first, about my will. Not concerned, first, about my benefit, how this affects me, but realizing God is the one that is to be served. And His will is good and His will is perfect. Teach me not to be angry. Teach me not to be lazy. Teach me not to be selfish. But grant me the grace of faithfulness. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. We're called first then to pray for grace, to accept the particular assignment in which God places us. The place that God has ordained for me so that I function faithfully and diligently as his servant in that capacity and do his will. I need that grace every single day. I need much grace. Grace to be patient. As a mother overwhelmed perhaps with the daily activities and responsibilities of the home or as one who can't be a mother and doesn't have those responsibilities. As one who's able to deal with this particular supervisor or this circumstance at work or this situation at school or with that teacher, whatever the circumstance might be, God ordaining all of this and having a purpose for it in my life to teach me to submit to him and to believe that his will alone is good. The grace to understand that God is the one who shuts and opens doors. When I get fired, or I lose my job, or I lose this situation, or I am laid off, God is the one that's 
involved here. Give me the grace not to complain. Give me the grace to look to him and to know that he has a better purpose, a better plan. When this relationship is broken or that relationship experiences troubles and difficulties, give me the grace to know that God is the one as my father who loves me and cares for me and who's directing the whole of my life in a way that will serve the hallowing of his name and the good of his kingdom. It's so easy for me to complain. So quick I am to murmur. Give me grace, Lord, that I might always and everywhere live before thy face, in thy presence, and in the consciousness that I am thy servant. But also, beloved, this is a petition for strength, always to be ready to obey God and to do his will. Whenever I need to renounce my own will in the way of serving his commandments, my whole life is to be lived in obedience to God. And I need to be honest then in my dealings. I need to be kind and just toward those on my pathway. As I stated, the whole of Romans 12 lays out those various practical admonitions that God sets before us. That we're to be walking in a manner that we are children of the light. We're fighting sin. We're doing that which is right. We're submitting to God's commandments. And we're seeking to understand the will and the way that he has for me here on earth. And our prayer then, our Father in heaven, teach me thy will to know, and from the heart thy will to do. That I don't do it with complaint, that I don't do it murmuring, that I don't do it hesitantly, but I do it willingly, I do it joyfully. Again, the implication of this whole prayer, this isn't happening in my life right now. I'm struggling. And so I need this petition. Thy will be done. And when we pray this petition, and again, continue deliberately, knowingly in sin, and in that which is a violation of God's will, we're hypocrites. We need to repent. We need to turn away, and we need to look to God for grace. Without the power of His hand in our lives and the work of Christ by His Spirit within us, all would be in vain. But we have been given a life that's from above. We've been given a new life that's in Jesus Christ, a life that knows God as Father, that believes that He is able and willing to do everything that's necessary for my well-being. And he's the one who gives me the grace then to submit to the wonder of that salvation and his perfect work in my life. And so our prayer is, Father, give me and give all thy children a rich measure of thy spirit and grace to know thy will, to submit to thy providence, to obey thy commands until finally that day will dawn where there will be no more struggle between my will and thy will, where only there will be perfect harmony. Amen. Our Father who art in heaven, forgive us. Thou dost know how earthly-minded we are, how selfish we are, how proud we are. Thou dost know the rebellion that rises up within us. Lord, humble us. Grant that by faith we might submit, that we might obey, and that we might do so immediately that we might do so willingly and joyfully as those who confess and know the love with which thou hast loved us in Jesus Christ. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen.